Um, we have a, a real treat this morning. Uh, Jeff has gone uh, to uh, Kelly Riceberg's wedding um, this weekend, so he's out of town, but, but our treat is that we have uh, Nate Hurts here. And Nate is, he's uh, a blessing to everybody that knows him. And uh, he, I mentioned in the first service, he's one of um, the most faithful people I know in, in terms of sharing the Lord with people. And it's a blessing just to be around him. And, and what he has to talk with us about this morning is uh, it's just what he does on a daily basis, how he expands his own faith and his own focus on the Lord and understanding of how amazing God is and, and what he wants to do through you. So this will be a neat time for you to Thanks so much, Gary. Yeah, for those of you that were uh, waiting from the first two services, I said that you were missing out if you didn't get to see Aaron and the girls. So if you waited through, uh, you are not missing out any longer. That's my wife, Aaron, right there. She's getting shy right now. She's even cuter when she's shy, too, so it's kind of a pretty cool thing. But anyway, and our daughters are actually in the nursery, so they're not out here, so maybe they'll come running around afterwards. But I'm Nate, and I'm on staff with Russ and Linda right there, and a bunch of, gosh, it is like a master plan staff headquarters almost this morning. Little Lita Jensen, and Angie, and Rob, and all sorts of people. Is Stephanie here? Probably. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, this is awesome. So, yeah, it's exciting to be here. I feel right at home. And it's exciting to be able to share with you. Uh, Jeff and Gary are both men of God that have inspired me a lot to pursue him. They've both been just examples of wisdom, especially Gary working on our board has been there through thick and thin to encourage us and make big decisions. And I know Russ and Linda and I know Aaron and I are very thankful for that. And so I'm excited to be here. Bear with me today. If you've never heard me speak, I am going to share a lot of verses. I think that you're going to get a lot more from God's Word than from Nate Herbst which is obviously a good thing, and my opinions don't mean that much, but God's Word does. So don't try to turn to every verse I mention. Don't try to write them all down. Just kind of like, maybe if you're taking notes, take notes on the big things that hit you, and, and let the rest just, just absorb it, let it come in, but don't maybe try to take meticulous notes unless you are a speed writer. Then you can totally do it. Uh, but anyway, with that being said, I'm only going to make you turn to a couple passages, and the first is Luke 5, 1 through 11. So you can start turning there now, and we'll read that in just a minute. As we get started here, I wanted to begin with a quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And as I think about this quote and what we're going to talk about this morning, that's my challenge. We are far too easily pleased. Our expectations of what God can do in and through us are far too low. And I want to encourage you today to expand those expectations and to expect God to come through in ways that you never imagined. So be honest right now. Think this through. Maybe write on the notes if something hits you. What are your expectations of marriage, parenting, retirement, school, relationships, work, church, ministry, life? Maybe other areas, you don't have to obviously write something down for each of those, and you don't even necessarily have to write anything down. If something comes to your mind about where your expectations are now for those areas, jot it down, or at least just keep thinking through it. Now, I'm going to give you an example. It would be easy to have an expectation of marriage that I just hope we don't get divorced. That would be a defense 
excessive expectation of marriage, right? And if you're having that kind of expectation about your marriage, you can't in turn expect great things out of it because you're kind of having the lowest common denominator for that um, for that gift from God and for that for that area. So I want to encourage you today to expand those expectations to be what God has called them to be. Take for example, just hoping you don't get divorced, and compare that with expecting to be a couple, a partnership, a team for the glory of God, like Justin and Sarah, right? A couple that says we are going to rock this world for Jesus because he's the number one thing in our relationship. That's exciting. That's just one example. So again, think about these different expectations, marriage, parenting, retirement, school, relationships, work, church, ministry, life, maybe some other area. And then turn with me to Luke 5, 1 through 11, and we're going to read this uh, first passage for the morning. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Okay, so what are his expectations about being obedient to Jesus at that point? Minimal. We tried it already. It didn't work. And I think a lot of us are there in the church or wherever you're at in life thinking, maybe I've tried this Christian thing for a long time, maybe I've tried marriage or tried relationships in school or you name it, and nothing too great happens. So my expectations are low. And Jesus is saying, do it again. He's saying, go, obey me. And Peter, his response is awesome. He says, because you say so, I will let down the net. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They saw him for who he was, they obeyed him, and then he came through. And then that expanded their expectation of how they could follow him in the future. It's kind of the theme that we're going to be talking about this morning. With that in mind, I want to ask you, if you ever heard the statement, you can raise your hand if you have, that you get what you expect. Get what you expect. Some of you have heard that statement. All right? It's pretty accurate in life. If you have low expectations of life, you're probably not going to get much out of life. If you have expectations of success and grandeur, you might become very successful, at least in the world's eyes, if that makes sense. That's not the type of expectations I'm talking about, however. I'm just talking about that principle right now. The principle itself is pretty accurate, and it applies to our walks with God. If you expect very little from God, you're probably right now seeing very little of God in your life, right? If you don't have expectations of Him coming through in your life, you're probably not seeing Him come through in your life. If we expect, excuse me, if we expect nothing to happen, probably we're going to see nothing happen. And that's true collectively of the body of Christ, too. I think in America, at least, the body of Christ is expecting God not to do that much. We're expecting our culture just to spiral out of control. We're expecting the next generation not to love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're seeing a lot of those expectations come to reality, right? And I want to encourage you to expand those expectations and let God be who he is and do what he wants to do, right? So expect more from him, and I believe you will see more happening. 
Uh, usually people fight like crazy to achieve their expectations. And once their expectations are met, they kind of bail out. They kind of coast in the rest of life, right? They say, okay, I got my house, I got my job, I got whatever car I wanted. Now I'm just going to kind of live it on easy street. I'm just going to coast into the finish line. That is the worst thing any of us could ever do. And it's terrible when we do that in our walks with God. But a lot of us are doing it right now, right? So don't get satisfied with the status quo. <laughs> Sorry, it's the first time I've had to speak three times in a month. I'm not used to it. Jeff is like a giant. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Right? So don't get satisfied with the status quo. Don't get complacent. Don't get lethargic. If we want to see God do great things, we need to expand our expectations of God doing great things, right? And then guess what? He really will. You will see Him doing great things as you expect that, as you live confidently by faith, trusting He will. So I want to clarify what we're talking about, though. Because when I talk about expanding your expectations, uh, you might say, wow, that sounds a lot like Kenneth Copeland or something like that. Uh, I want to say, this isn't, in, this isn't expectations about what's in it for you, right? And just hear this out for a minute. He saved us by grace, gift of salvation that I didn't have to earn. I have Muslim friends that have all told me they think they're going to hell because they cannot achieve the standard for them in the Quran. Right? You don't live with that fear because you know that you have a secure relationship with Christ based on what he did at the cross. That is huge. What more could I ask for, right? If you don't know Jesus this morning, before I go further, I wanted to say that he loves you dearly, right? He thinks about you constantly. The Bible tells us that he thinks about you more often than more than the sands of the sea. And he's always thinking about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. But sin separates us from God. Now, Cameron is one of the coolest guys I know. I love him dearly. He was giving us pizza the other night in the middle of the night. It was pretty sweet. But anyway, if I punch Cameron in the nose, tomorrow he's probably not going to want to hang out, right? Because sin separates relationships. And sin does that with us and God. It separates us. It does that in every relationship, and it's the same with God. Jesus came and he died and nailed that sin to the cross and he faced for in full that whoever puts their trust in him and asks him to come into their life and forgive their sins, he says he will do it and they can live knowing, again, expecting even to be with him in eternity in heaven. If you don't know Christ, you can do that today. If you do know Christ, I want to tell you, that's huge and what more could you really expect? I mean, what more could you expect? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians tells us. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You lack nothing. Every one of us here thinks we lack something. That's probably because I'm not totally on board with what God's doing in my life. What I see as a need might be God's tool to make me the kind of person that he wants me to be. But he tells me in scripture that I lack nothing, right? He's already met every need. He's multiplying the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are going to be much more prevalent in your life today than they were five years ago, right? Evan, you're so much more loving and joyful than when I met you three, four years ago. That's awesome. Okay, God is working in us, and we can expect that, right? Uh, And five years from now, it'll be even better. He's met all your needs, guys. You're accepted and loved unconditionally by the God of the universe and by each other. Look around this room. People in the world do not have this many people that love them and accept them unconditionally. People in the world rarely have one or two people like that. You guys have a whole building full and two other buildings full that are gone right now that were here earlier today. We have so much, guys. If that isn't enough, then I don't know what to tell you. But I wanted to start by saying this talk is not about expecting more from God because I have already been given so, 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 so much. 
So I, I want to talk about what kind of expectations we should have of guys. Well, number one, keep your expectations about your spouse, your kids, your church, things like that in check. We don't need to expand those too high. Right? Accept those people for who they are as God's gift to you and love them as such. And especially as you think about this church, you're never going to find a perfect church. I joked earlier in the first service that people always ask me if the River Church is the best church in town. That's where I go. And I always tell them, absolutely not. <laughs> I tell them, I don't think there is a perfect church in town, right? But I'm going to be committed to being committed in a family where I can grow and where I can help other people grow, right? So don't expect your church to be perfect, but expect to be committed here and growing here and investing in people here and being invested in here, right? So that is uh, kind of the idea about expectations. It's not a what's in it for me type of talk, but rather what can God do in and through me type of talk. And we'll get there in a minute. But I think the core, before you get through the specifics, thank you so much. Before we get into kind of the specifics and the how-to, is where's my heart at, right? Because if my heart is in the wrong place, then I'm not going to go anywhere. I have to have the right heart before I can expect to see God expand my expectations in view of Him. And I want to encourage you to let God open your spiritual eyes. Remember the story of Elisha's servant in 176? where they have this army battling them, and you cannot see the reality of what God's doing. And I pray that his spiritual eyes would be open to see that God has already surpassed the need. He's already beaten the odds, right? And it's the same way for each of us. We need to get our mind off of this physical world and start to see things the way God sees them, and to start to see things according to what God's doing in those situations, and to be expecting him to come through like only God can the idea here is John 3.30. This is John the Baptist. He says, I must decrease and he must increase. My expectations for what I can get out of this life need to decrease so that the expectations of what he can do in and through me can increase. Does that make sense? It's like an expectation seesaw. So I need to get my mind off the American dream and get it onto the God dream. What does God want to do in and through me? What is his plan in this situation? As I start to see with spiritual eyes, magnifying him and decreasing my own desires, as I start to see his way, I'm going to see past roadblocks. I'm going to see past circumstances. I'm going to see past hardships and trials and obstacles, knowing what he's up to. Maybe not knowing every detail, but confident that he's up to something, regardless of what I can see, right? 2 Corinthians 4.18 calls that an eternal perspective, right? It's being able to look at everything that's going on around us, Realizing that the physical things I see are not what is important, but rather what God is doing is real, everlasting, and important. And that sounds kind of hard, right? How can I expand my view of God? How can I live with an eternal perspective? How can I see God as larger than I've ever seen Him before, expecting Him to come through like only He can? Well, I want to encourage you. We're going to go through some steps to get there, but you can leave this place today with that kind of view of God and that kind of expectancy on Him. Scripture tells us that we can live that way right now, even eating and drinking, whatever you do. and says we can do it all for the glory of God, working at it with all our heart as working for the Lord, not for men, knowing that he's going to show up and do great things, right? So no matter what you're doing, you can live expectantly, knowing that he is going to show up. Isn't that exciting? Even just washing dishes, even just uh, doing your, your uh, day job. I talked about Brian in first service. I don't know if he's here again, but every day when I walk into the union building, here is smiling Brian looking at me. Are you guys all know he's like the friendliest guy you've ever met? And that's a hostile environment, right, Leah? Right, Malcolm? And on that campus, being a 
Christian is kind of the only taboo. When you walk into that place, by faith, again, expecting God to show up, it is so encouraging to see somebody working his job as under the Lord, not for men, ready to encourage you the second you see him. All right, so way to go, Brian. Anyway, so what do we expect? I want to talk about what should we expect. Because if our expectations are in the wrong place, we're going to be discouraged. Haven't you found that to be true? You have an expectation, it doesn't get met, and then you have a lot of discouragement as a result. Right? Or maybe you have some bitterness or some unforgiveness, or maybe somebody let you down and you didn't expect them to. And you need to trust God and have the right expectations. Right? So incorrect expectations always result in frustration and doubt and bitterness. So what should you expect? I expect opposition, difficulty, and heartbreak. I'm being honest. Right? You should expect those things. You should expect not everything to be easy and a bowl of cherries. Expect some difficulty in life, but also expect God to do great things. Expect Him to move all the time. Expect people to let you down. They will. Even people you love, even people in this church, expect people to let you down, but expect God to never let you down. Right? Expect God to be there every single time. Expect hardships again. You guys, Jesus said in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? He told us that we're going to have hardships in this life, but that he is already working in through those situations for our good and for his glory. I can trust that. I should not be afraid when I see those hardships thinking the worst, but rather noticing he's working. Right? If my perspective says... I'm going to have the sweetest life imaginable and everything's always going to be comfortable and nobody I love is ever going to get sick. If that's my perspective on life, when those things happen, I am going to be discouraged and my faith is going to get rocked. But if I'm expecting those things, realizing that regardless of which ones come, he's going to be faithful no matter what, when they come, I'm going to stand like a rock because he is faithful. Does that make sense, guys? So we need to have our expectations in the right place. Now, I don't want to just leave you with bad expectations, though, or hard expectations. Expect fruit in and through you. Expect God to be working in you, and expect God to be using you to do great things. Matthew 9.37 says the harvest is right. It would be foolish of me to think and to expect the harvest to be unright. Does that make sense? That is as true today as when Jesus said it. And it's true for each of you. Wherever you're at, whether it's a workplace or a school or retirement or a sport or a hobby, God has put you in a right harvest. You can look at the people around you knowing they are a right harvest. God is working on their hearts. He promised that in John 12. So expect God to work in their hearts. And then take the initiative to share and watch God use you to work in their hearts. Does that make sense? So expect fruit in you, but then don't stop there. Expect fruit through you as well. Expect God to open doors that only God can open. Haven't you seen this a few times for us where God just opens up a door? Uh, the Great Commission Training Center Project is one example that comes to mind. And again, there's been hardships there too as well. And as we keep pursuing and following God, He does great things. Expect God to work in lives and change hearts. He really will. You can't change a heart. You can't change your own heart, much less somebody else's heart, right? So expect that you're insufficient to change people's hearts, minds, and souls. But expect that God is not. He can do that. We have atheist friends that are firm, devout atheists, and they hate God. And I expect that someday I will be praising God with them. And I tell them that sometimes on Facebook. You guys have seen that every once in a while. I say, I can't wait till they'll tell me, it's so crazy you to be hearing your face like that all the time. Like the live sector there saying that. And I said, I can't wait till we're doing the live sector together and you're sharing your face with me. <laughs> but you guys, expect God to change hearts. Expect God to change you. Right? You don't have to be the same person for the rest of your life. God can work on you. Right? Expect 
answered prayer. Maybe not according to how you expect it. <laughs> it's kind of weird to say it that way. Expect God answered every single prayer in line with His perfect will, right? Expect victory over sin. Think far too often Christians expect to live a life of failure and defeat in the area of sin. And they don't expect God to give them freedom from that. You know, a lot of times people quote Paul in Romans 7. Oh, he struggled so much with sin. And, you know, he was just like one of us. Yeah, well, at the end of that chapter, in the beginning of 8, he said there was victory over that through Jesus, right? So we can expect to have victory over sin. I would encourage you on that note. Get accountable with somebody because you're not going to do that alone. So expect if you're trying that alone to hit the wall a million times until you get honest and vulnerable with somebody and, and keep each other accountable. Okay, expect Jesus himself. Expect treasure in heaven. Eternity is going to be more than we can ever fathom. It's going to be better than anything we sacrifice on this earth. Expect it. Expect God to blow you away and to blow your mind with his goodness. Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God, for nothing is impossible with God. What is impossible with men is possible with God. Isn't that good? I need to start thinking that. It is possible with you, Jesus. So I want to come to that place where I can trust God and expect Him to be God in my life and through my life. And I need to get there. But get this. I want to leave you with some encouraging examples today before we talk about how to get there. Joshua 23.10 says, One of you routes a thousand. Okay, none of us in here could route a thousand, okay, on our own. But with God, one of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So God has promised to fight for you. He's not just half-heartedly answering some minor prayer requests for some issue that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know? He is fighting for you, and you can expect that. And you can expect to route a thousand of your biggest obstacles with him fighting for you, right? Think of 1 Samuel 14, where Jonathan and his, and his armor bearers are facing the odds of 10 to 1. And they're not being passive, they're not going backwards, they're not just standing their ground, but they're taking the initiative to go forward and to win, trusting God, saying nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I want that to be my expectation of life. Nothing is going to stop God from doing what He wants to do in this situation. Nothing. And I'm going to live my life expecting Him to do what He wants to do in this situation and allowing Him to use me the way He wants to use me in this situation. What if Abraham never got past his limitations, guys? What if Moses never got past his insecurities? Every one of you in this room has insecurities, and I do too. If you stay there, you will never go anywhere for God. We need to say, God, I trust you with that. I'm going forward. What if David never got past his sin? Same thing. Right, guys? What if Esther never got past the pleasures of royalty? What if Mary never trusted God past the routines of this life? What if Peter never got past his doubt? What if Paul never got past the comfort of the religious establishment? We wouldn't be here today. Right, guys? We wouldn't be here. The only reason we're here is because other believers whose shoulders we stand on said, God, I'm going to trust you and walk by faith, expecting you to show up the way only you can and to do the things only you can do, right? In Matthew 9, 23 through 24, we hear a fabulous story. And this is so encouraging to me and it's convicting as well because I know this is where my heart is. Jesus tells the father of a boy who is demon-possessed who is asking him to heal his son, he says, everything is possible for him who believes. And you remember the statement from this honest father. He says, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And that's how I feel. Don't you feel like you believe intellectually that God can do anything he wants? And in your, in your 
intellect, your expectations might be very high of God coming through, but it's hard to practically live life there because that doubt is so real sometimes. And he came honestly to his Savior and just said, help me with my unbelief. And that's what God's going to do with each of you. Now, if you want to conquer that unbelief and live expecting God to come through in big ways, follow this acronym. And the acronym for expanding your expectations is EXPAND. That's pretty simple. E-X-P-A-N-D, right? Okay, so E in the acronym stands for Engage with God. If you're not expecting God to come through like God wants to come through, it's probably because you don't view God that highly. If you view God highly, you will expect Him to come through every every single time, right? If you're not viewing God highly, you need to be spending more time with God. I want to encourage you. This is the most vital thing that I'm sharing this morning. We need to be connecting with our Savior every single day in a real and authentic way that changes us from the inside out and transforms us from somebody living with a human perspective to somebody living with a godly perspective, with an eternal perspective, right? So I need to engage with God. And that happens practically by getting in His Word and and really getting into it, studying it, reading it, memorizing it, applying it, sharing it. We'll get more to the application in a minute, right? You've heard it said... At least I've heard it said in response to rest that you only respect God as much as you respect His Word. And that's true. If I'm not expecting much from God, it's probably because I'm not getting in His Word and seeing who He really is and what He's really all about. Next, I want to say we need to cultivate a serious prayer life. And this isn't just a judgmental thing where I'm saying you need to pray more, read your Bible more. But I'm talking about a vibrant relationship where you really talk with your Savior on a daily basis. John Harden put it this way, those who do not believe do not pray. This is a good functional definition for faith. Faith prays, unbelief does not. If I find that my prayer life is lacking, the only conclusion I can draw is that my faith life is lacking as well. And I'm not seeing God for who he really is. And I'm not trusting him enough even to go to him in prayer. Right? Okay, so that's E, engage with God. X, XXL, extra, extra large. I think that's Red's shirt size. I gotta pick on Russell a little bit. <laughs> anyway, or XL maybe. But anyway, extra extra large. We need to magnify God. If I'm not expecting much from God, again, it's because I'm viewing Him too little. And I need to start magnifying my view of God. Now, when I magnify God, I don't really magnify Him because He's perfect and sufficient and, and He cannot be magnified, right? But I need to magnify how I view God in my own mind. Aaron, my beautiful wife, had an awesome observation about this. Psalm 16:30 says, magnify God with thanksgiving. See, when I develop a thankful heart, I begin to magnify God in my own head. Instead of looking at my obstacles and my insufficiencies and the things that I wish I had that I don't, I'm looking at all that God is giving me and being thankful for every single thing. And when I start to cultivate that thankfulness, it magnifies how I view God, right? It starts to build and build and build how I view God to the point where I can expect more from Him. So magnify God with thanksgiving. You get what you see. If you see God as is, is God, and if you see Him as great, then you're going to get that in your life, right? P stands for pound your comfort zones, okay? Pound your comfort zones. Because your comfort zones will keep you from experiencing what God wants you to experience. I'm sure, Nick, I don't know when you started Prosper X, but I'm pretty sure you didn't know it'd be where it is today. And pretty sure if you knew all that it would take, <laughs> it would have been pretty stagnant. But as you pounded your comfort zones day by day, you saw God do a miracle there. And lives are being transformed by the hundreds every year. And it's because comfort zones got destroyed and annihilated. Right? So here's the deal. Howard Hendricks put it this way. He said, the measure of a person is what does it take to get you going? What does it take to stop you? Okay? If it takes a whole lot to get you going and very little to stop you, you're not much of a person. Right? 
On the flip side of the coin, if it takes very little to get you going and very much to stop you, you're somebody because of what God's done in your life. Now, if we want to pound our comfort zones so that we can see God working in and through us, we need to expand our comfort zones, right? We need to get those broadened. And the way you do that is by taking risks little by little. Taking a risk today that you weren't willing to, to take yesterday. Russ puts it this way. He says, faith, if faith had a feeling, it would probably be fear, right? So it's coming to a point where you say, I know God wants me to take this step. It scares me to even think about it. But I'm going to walk by faith and take that step. I'm going to take a risk, and I'm going to wait for God to show up. When I take those risks, He does show up, and those comfort zones expand, and I start to expect Him to do it again. I start to expect Him to come through tomorrow like He just did today, right? So pound those comfort zones. A, in the acronym, stands for accountability and spurring fellowship. We need each other. When Malcolm is sharing his faith on campus, it inspires me to share my faith, right? And it probably encourages Alex to share his faith. In fact, I saw you guys sharing your faith together last week. As we are in a context of accountability and fellowship with other believers there, as Scripture says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, spurring us on to love and good deeds, that our expectations of God grow, right? I'm willing to trust God because I just saw God come through for Malcolm. I just saw God come through for Leah. Stephanie, oh my gosh, she's it. 25% of her support or something like that. God can do it for Stephanie. God can do it for me, right? So if I'm in that context of accountability and fellowship, my view of God expands. And then my expectations of Him coming through in my life expand also. Okay. And never look back. Press forward. And here's kind of a summary of Philippians 3. Philippians 3 says... Worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh, consider everything else trash compared to knowing God, to knowing Christ, and to experiencing His power. And then it concludes by saying, forget everything that's behind and press on towards the goal for which Christ has called you heavenward. Right? Now here's what we need to do. We need to never look back. We need to press forward. If we look back, you're going to see a lot of failed expectations, a lot of failure maybe, a lot of broken relationships, whatever. I don't know. Each one of us will have negative things in our past. And instead of looking at those negative things, we need to look forward at our Savior Jesus, realizing that He's greater than our past, and He's greater than our circumstances and obstacles, and He can work in a big way today in my life. Okay, finally, D in the acronym, expand. And I'll go through this acronym again at the end, so if you didn't get it off, you'll get a chance. D stands for do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to actually do it. We need to actually take that risk that we just talked about, take a step of faith, and watch God come through. We have to put this into practice. If it's just intellectual, we die. And we can't just put it into practice on our own terms. We seriously need to say, God, you've got to do this. I can't do this, God, so you've got to do this, God. And then we really, really will. I told this story first service, and I'll tell you now. I was getting blood last year, about a year and a half ago, and these two women walked in. It was very, very clear uh, that, they were, that they were lesbians, and God was telling me clearly to share with these women because he loved them so dearly. And I was thinking, God, I'm sure they don't want to hear, right? I'm sure they don't want to hear. And probably everybody else in this entire uh, United Blood Services room is going to be mad at me for sharing my faith. Those are the lies, you know, that go through our head. <laughs> and finally, I just said, God, I'm willing I'll take the risk. I'll say it, but you better show up. That's what I'm talking about, trusting the Holy Spirit to do what only he can. So, anyway, I walk over kind of sheepishly after giving blood, and I just uh, just start opening my mouth, thinking this is, this is a disaster. 
But anyway, you know, we had an awesome conversation about Christ. And I got to tell one of these ladies in particular how much God loved her. And she'd never heard that before. And she'd been living a life feeling like she was not loved and not accepted and not treasured. I got to tell her that God treasures her and loves her and got to briefly share the gospel with her and then I had to head back up to campus. Anyway, I've seen her a few times since and just recently, Erin and I ran into her at Walmart. And she tells I said, how's it going? And she says, good. She says, oh, you'd be pretty excited about this. I said, what's that? She says, I started going to church. <laughs> I went, are you kidding me? That's awesome. And, and she goes, yeah. I said, well, what in the world prompted you to do that? And she goes, well, I started reading the Bible. <laughs> that, that's even cooler. So why did you start reading the Bible? And she goes, I just came to the conclusion Jesus is a really good guy, and I should probably hear what he has to say. <laughs> Amazing, right? And God is working in her heart, and it's nothing I could do. I couldn't change her heart. I couldn't make this real to her. I just had to take a step of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit and let God go from there. And I don't know where she's at today. I don't know where her relation. But God's working in her heart, right? He's done this much. He can do more. So I'm saying take a step of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit and then trust him to work. Okay, so how do I grow that faith that Nate is talking about? Thank you, Nate, so much for bringing up that verse. I don't know where he's at. He's in here somewhere. But thank you, Nate, for talking about that. Romans 12.3 says every one of you has been given a measure of faith, right? Just like the disciples that were saying, grow it, grow it. I want to grow it. I mean, I want, I want more. I want more. God said, well, you, all you need is a mustard seed. Right? He also told us in Mark 4 that a mustard seed has to grow. Remember that? And here's how Scripture says you can grow your faith so that you can trust God for those bigger and bigger steps of faith and seeing Him come through. James 2.22 says putting your faith into action makes it complete. 2 Corinthians 10.15 says that as you put your faith into action, your faith will grow. Right? It'll start to grow. Right? 2 Thessalonians 1.3 talks about your faith growing and growing more and more. Right? See, your faith is like a muscle. It's like a faith muscle. It's not that you need God to extract more muscles, but you need to take the muscle, the faith muscle he's given you, and start to exercise that by taking little risks and putting into practice what you know from his word. And as you exercise that faith muscle, it does what every other muscle does. It grows bigger and bigger so that you can trust God more next time than you did today. Right? James 1.22 summarizes all that saying, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. See, when I'm listening to God's word and not putting it in practice, I become deceived. When I hear in God's word that I'm supposed to share the good news with people around me, and I think in my head, I'm not doing that, what do I end up believing? The people around me don't want to hear the good news. Even though Jesus already told me that the harvest is ripe. Even though he already told me he's working on every heart in John 12. Does that make sense? So when I'm not obeying his word, I become deceived and start to disbelieve his word. Same thing with tithes. Every time somebody tells me they don't tithe, they always say, what's the common reason? I don't have enough money to tithe, so I don't tithe. Well, what did God say? That he's going to meet all their needs, and God doesn't have trouble meeting needs, right? But if I'm not tithing, I deceive myself and believe that I can't afford to. Not realizing that God already meets my needs, and if I do tithe, he will in great ways, right? Okay, so I need to really put this into practice, grow my faith, and see God come through. And then he will expand in my, ma- in my mind, he will magnify in my mind, so that I can expect him to come through more and more and more in my daily life. Here's kind of the summary of all that. Two cycles come out of all that I just said there. And we're all in one of these two cycles today. And I want to encourage you to evaluate which one of these defines your life right now. The first one is you love God. Right? Out of love, you obey God. And as you obey God, what happens? God comes through like he said he would when we obey him. 
Well, what happens after God comes through? I trust him more next time, right? Because he came through last time, so I trust him more next time. So I obey him more, and then he comes through more. And then I trust him even more, and I obey him even more. And he comes through even more, and I trust him even more. It's a pretty good cycle, right? More trust, more trust, more of God coming through in my life for his glory, not my own. What's the flip side of that? The other cycle, though, is I don't believe God. I kind of doubt him, so I do it my way. Even though he already told me, don't do it that way. There's nothing good at the end of that road, right? But I do it my way anyway. And then what happens? The inevitable consequence of doing it my own way. The inevitable result of sin happens. And then oftentimes, you know what we do at that point? We blame God. How could you ever let that happen to me, that terrible thing? can't believe you, God. Well, God's going, that's why I told you not to go down that road, because that's what happens, right? Well, in that situation, what do I say about next time? I I should say, well, I'm doing it God's way next time, but unfortunately, a lot of times we say, well, God, he totally let me down. So I'm just doing things my way. And then we get more of God, quote-unquote, totally letting me down. And it's not God letting me down. It's just the natural consequences of my sin, right? So think about which two cycles, or which of those two cycles you're in today. And I want to encourage you to be in the first one. One of obeying God, putting his word into practice, taking steps of faith, and then seeing him come through, seeing your view of him expanded, seeing your expectations of him coming through in your life expanded. Right, guys? Bill Bright put it this way, and I love this quote. Man, I think this is probably my favorite quote outside of Scripture. I'll put it that way. He says, there are no happy, disobedient Christians, and there are no unhappy, obedient Christians. There are no happy, disobedient Christians. In other words, if you're a disobedient Christian, you won't be happy. And he says, there are no unhappy, obedient Christians, right? So if you're an obedient Christian, if you're following God, you're going to be living with a happiness and a joy that this world can't touch and it sure can't offer, right? Okay, so I need to see God come through, and then I need to live expectantly that he will keep coming through regardless of my circumstances. Now that in my mind, equals the word entitlement. Okay, now here's something that's interesting. What happens when somebody always gets what they they want? They develop an entitlement mentality, right? Where they always expect to get what they want. Sometimes our kids have gotten there. It's no fun. And sometimes other people get there. But regardless, I think we need to develop almost an entitlement mentality with God. Are you tracking with me? An entitlement mentality. Not about what I can get, remember? It's not about what's in it for me. But I need to expect with confidence that he will work in and through me if I'm taking steps of faith. I need to almost live every day so confident of that that that's the only thing that drives me through the day is him and knowing that he's going to show up and work in great ways when I trust him and take him at his word. I want to summarize even that statement into the following one. That's don't put God in a box. Don't limit God. Right? Don't say, God, you can't do that. But I want to make a note, too. Don't take God out of his box. <laughs> right? Here's God's box, the word. And God isn't going to get out of this box. Sometimes when people want to expand their expectations of God or their view of God, they start to expand it so far that it's no longer the God that's in this Bible. Right? I'll expect anything of God and call it God, regardless of what Scripture says. So as you think about expanding your expectations, expand them within his word. Right? But expand them to where his word says he is at. Right? Think about where he's brought you from, guys. Think about who you were before him. Don't live with a defensive perspective. If he got you here, he can get you there. Does that make sense? I need to not live defensively. But I need to live every day with an offensive perspective, willing to route a thousand, knowing that he is fighting for me. I need to be active and not reactive. I need to be active, taking the initiative, not just reacting to whatever happens to happen throughout the day. 
And I want to be biased towards opportunities, and I want to encourage you guys to be biased towards opportunities. Um, Patton is a hero of mine. He was a great commander in the military. He did a lot of great stuff. And Colonel H.R. McMaster describes Patton this way. He says he was biased always towards seeing the opportunities while other commanders were biased towards seeing the dangers. That's the truth of every one of our lives. I can live being biased towards what could happen and what danger could occur. I can live with that kind of fear. Or I can say, God, I'm going to be biased towards seeing opportunities for you and realizing that you can do every single thing that you said you would. Now turn with me to Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 as we close. Ephesians 3. I'm going to kind of summarize what we just talked about, and then we're going to close with this passage in a minute. So turn to Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. So in summary, guys, we need to replace the American dream with a God dream, a dream of seeing God come through every single day in and through our lives. I need to expand my expectations and then step out in faith expecting God to come through. I expand those expectations by, the acronym is expand, E, engaging with God, X, XXL, extra extra large, magnifying God with thanksgiving, P, pounding my comfort zones, taking risks, trusting Him to come through, A, accountability and spurring fellowship, N, never looking back but pressing forward, and D, doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? I tell the students sometimes, get yourself into a situation where if God doesn't show up, you, you're dead or you lose. Right? And I think that's exactly what we need to do. We need to live so expectantly of God that I can take a risk where if he doesn't show up, I'm going to look really stupid. But then expect him to show up. It's like every time Erin Mulcair raises her hand in class, knowing that she's about to talk about Jesus, and then she gets called on, and you're committed. <laughs> Whatever happens, God, <laughs> we're going down this road. Okay? Expect God to work in you and through you for His glory. Okay, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You guys, he really is able to do more and immeasurably more than everything you can imagine or ask. And I want you to live life expectantly, knowing that he's able to do immeasurably more than you can imagine or ask. So as you leave, take your notes and write out those areas again. We're not going to take time to do it now. Maybe tomorrow morning when you're alone with God, take those areas and say, God, what are your expectations for these areas of my life? God, what is your expectation for my marriage? God, what is your expectation for my kids and my parenting? God, what is your expectation of my retirement if you're at that point in life? Malcolm, don't, don't ask God that yet. Okay? Malcolm, God, what is your expectation? God, what is your expectation of me being in school? You can't think that one. Uh, What is your expectation of my relationships? Why am I friends with the people I'm friends with? What do you want in those situations, God? God, what's your expectation of my workplace? Why did you put me at that workplace and not another workplace? Who do you want me to reach? Mike, why are you at Albertsons, right? What You're there to reach out. Well, good deal, Mike. I think Jesus wants to use you in ways you can't imagine. Right, guys? God, what is your expectation?
of, of my church? How can we as a body do what God's called us to do? God can do it, guys. He can do immeasurably more than anything you can imagine or ask. Your weaknesses, inabilities, and failures present no challenge to God's plan for your life, guys. But your willingness does. And that's the question I want to leave you with. Are you willing? Are you willing to say, God, you're who you say you are, and you can do what you say you can do, and I'm going to live my life expecting you to do what you say? Are you willing? With that, I'm going to close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much that you're here right now with us, God. We thank you so much that you've called us not to a passive life of indifference, but God, to an active life of seeing you come through in huge ways. I pray that you would expand my mind and my expectations of you, and that you do that for each one of us, God, that we really see you for who you are and expect you to live your life through us, like Paul said in Galatians 2.20. Jesus, we want to live this life to make a difference for, for this earth and for eternity. And God, as we stand here, I think every one of us are so, so reminded of what you did to even bring us to this place. God, and I thank you. I never want to lose the joy of what you've done in my life and the joy of my salvation. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins 2,000 years ago, Jesus. Thank you for accepting me and bringing me into your family, adopting me as your son. Thank you for doing that for each one of us. We love you so much, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I guess that's it. Have a great Sunday.